0: Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always, Sean Baker, and today's topic is the 2017 film Hostels. So this film takes place in 1892, mm-hmm. This is near the end of the Indian Wars, Wounded Knees just a year or two ago. And so everything's just sort of winding down. And we follow a, a longtime soldier in the Indian Wars named Captain Blocker. And he is tasked with, because he's had this prison for Indians in, in uh, New Mexico, the New Mexico Territory. And one of these prisoners was a longtime um, chief soldier named Yellowhawk. And they, Yellow Hawk is old, and he's supposedly dying of cancer. And a pardon has been given to him by President Harrison. And Blocker is tasked with take escorting Yellow Hawk and his family out of this prison and into Mon, a place in Montana where I believe where that's where they used to live. Yes, and he's a. He is a very hardened soldier. He's fought many years, and he's you know somewhat considered to have committed atrocities against Native Americans. And he hates Yellow Hawk because Yellow Hawk, in a certain battle, had soldiers that not only killed some of his comrades in arms but mutilated their bodies. So he wants nothing to do with them. Even after he they, he's sort of forced into taking on this job, he has. Yellow Hawk and his family put in handcuffs as they're being taken along. But along the way, as they're traveling, um, he runs into a woman named Rosalie Quaid. And the very first thing we see in the movie is Rosalie Quaid's family being murdered by a Comanche tribe. Her entire family is murdered. Her three daughters, one of them a baby, and her husband. She's the only survivor. So they see her house. It's been burned down. There's the corpses of her family. But she survives. They help her bury the uh, bodies, and then she goes along with them. And as the journey goes along, they encounter um, they have to fight not only the Comanches, but there's a group of outlaws, and not only who capture Rosalie Quade and Yellow Hawk's uh, daughters. And they capture them, and then later on, um, they eventually reach the Montana Territory. But Yellow Hawk almost right as they he dies he succumbs to cancer but right as the family looks like they're about to settle they've encountered this rancher and they get into a gunfight and all of Yellow Hawk's family besides his grandson are killed mm-hmm. but um, Blocker and his Blocker and Rosalie Quaid who have now become close they survive and the last scene is Quaid's going to start over in Chicago and take the surviving grandson of Yellowhawk with her and uh, Blocker is seeing her off. But as the train's leaving, because he's just going to see her off, he decides to hop on the train and go with her. That's yeah. the film. And overall, I would say I enjoyed this movie. I, I Watching it, though, I feel like this is a very, because you, you can almost see the influence from the searchers. And it's, this yep. is a film that I think is aiming high and saying, this is going to be the next searchers. And I think it's just pretty good. Yeah. I, there's no crime against a movie being pretty good. I think in today's world, it's all black and white. It's either the biggest piece of crap you've ever seen or the greatest film since Citizen Kane. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. if a movie is just pretty good, that's not a sin. So I think this is pretty good, even though I think it aimed higher.
1: Yeah, and, and, and just in terms of time, I think <laughs> like last week's film, I think it dragged a little, a little too much in places but um you could see those echoes of the searchers a lot including that the the theme of overcoming hate uh so i that i and a couple of shots of him in doorways and yeah, things that's like what that i was saying that's where uh, yeah. i was clearly seeing so that I, I think that might have worked a little bit at cross purposes with the with the director and he was trying too hard to do a homage to that film perhaps but i would have to agree i in general i like the film a lot um, I, I like the fact that um, uh, Blocker is being um, tasked with taking a former, not just a former enemy, you know, or United States forces, but somebody he personally fought. And he saw that, saw this man do atrocious things to his men. And we learn from various sources that Blocker has done atrocious things himself. And so it's a it's a complex story of, of those two men coming to, if not forgiveness of each other, respect for each other toward the end of that
0: film. Yes, and Blocker does go through an arc at this movie because like at the beginning he puts um, um, Yellowhawk and his family in chains as they're being traveled, but over time because they have to fight together to defeat these hostile Comanches and then this group of outlaws who capture... Um, Rosalie Quaid and Yellow Hawk's daughters, they work together and sort of at the end when they reach this place in Montana, he starts to tell these, you know, gives him the names of the soldiers that Yellow Hawk killed. And he says, I lost a lot of good friends, but I'm sure you've lost a lot of good friends, too. And they have this handshake and, uh, you know. Blocker says, you know, when you die, a part of me is going to die with you. Yeah. So there's this for either forgiveness or mutual respect as and they've been fighting this war. But I see it as a way of trying to end this endless cycle of violence. Yeah.
1: And uh, I like the fact I, I guess in that same vein, I, I kind of wish they did a little bit more development of Yellow Hawk. Mm-hmm. As they did with Blocker, maybe somehow or another, telling his backstory a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it would have uh, uh, diluted the film too much to have flashbacks of him during his fighting days. Because by the time this, this movie is occurring, you're right—he's an old man. He's past his prime. He's he's uh, fought many wars, done many atrocious things, and but he's done. And you know, he has been captured. By the United States. And we're seeing Blocker approaching that phase of his career, actually ending his career, because he is supposed to be uh, retiring at the beginning of this movie and uh, has to be talked into this, basically uh, saying, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your pension. And he reluctantly agrees to go along with it. So it's kind of interesting to see both of these guys at the ends of their careers, one a little farther from the end than the other, but pretty close. And having been um um combatants hating each other and eventually coming to that like that uh that uh understanding at the end. Uh it's powerful and I like it for that reason and I, I do like the scene where they rescue the women from the fur trappers because uh you know all an argument almost starts between Blocker and Yellowhawk as to who's gonna kind of lead this uh, raid into that camp but then yellowhawk says it's my daughter I'm leading it end of discussion yes and blocker respects that you know he can he can kind of see that uh, a fellow warrior there and uh, it, it's appropriate to step back and let him run run the run the raid I, I like that mm-hmm. yeah, and I just would have liked to seen more of Yellowhawk.
0: I do think cuz that is one of the criticisms of this movie is that not enough focus is given to Yellow Hawk and I think just have dual main characters just it's all from Blocker's point of view but take some of that point of view away and give it to Yellow Hawk. Yeah. So it's two main characters but the main character in this movie is Blocker. I do yeah. think you desperately need that second point of view.
1: Yeah, I think so and you know there there's a parallelism in the film too that I think uh, they're attempting to point out with uh uh the the fact that blocker is reading uh julius caesar's history of, of the gallic wars at the beginning of the film and then at the end of the film he gives his copy of that book to that young grandson um very symbolic because the, the gallic wars were in 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 a way like the wars out out west in the united states in that the uh, roman empire was pushing in that direction present-day france and belgium and they even moved into the uh, british isles but a similar kind of a history a very complex history where uh, the romans entered into several alliances with uh, warring tribes out in that area And uh, the warring tribes also saw the advantage of uh, alliance with uh, Rome uh, against uh, a common enemy and complex politics there, similar to the complex politics that happened with the United States as it expanded west, but even from its earliest stages. The French and the British were allying with various tribes, and it was all very political, and the tribes were just as consciously doing it as, uh, as the uh, European powers were. So that symbolism is there in him reading that book. And I, I kind of like seeing, you know, he's learning lessons from ancient history, and the last, as it were, uh, great power that, that, that created a peace that lasted a long time. Pax romana well there's kind of a pox americana too but it comes at a price uh with uh, uh uh this kind of fighting that you saw back in those wars in 50 to 58 bc um or 58 bc to 50 bc get the time right here and uh, also the, the wars that the united states was involved with, with the various indian tribes and france Um, It's very neat, and you kind of like to. He's he's learned the lesson, kind of some of the uh, wisdom from Caesar, and he's he's taking that in, and then he passes it on to the young man at the end. Interesting. I like that. I kind of wish they somehow developed that a little bit more too.
0: Yeah, and we talk about Yellow Hawk, and I believe he's a Kiowa, right? Yes, he's a Kiowa. But watching the movie, I mean, obviously we talked about the searchers influence, but I also was thinking about the inspiration behind the searchers. And for those who don't know, the searchers was based on the story of Cynthia Ann Parker. Cynthia Ann Parker was a young girl in the 1830s in Texas whose family was slaughtered by a Comanche tribe, not the Kiowas. Yeah. But she was taken in by the tribe and she grew up with them into adulthood and she even married a um, warrior and they had a child named Kiwana Parker. Now around the 1860s she was found by Texas Rangers and brought back to her white family and she'd had trouble assimilating back again to the culture and she died shortly after yeah. her but that son kawana parker became a leader of the comanches and many war, in this 1860s and 70s he was one of their big warriors in the war during the indian wars but after a certain period he surrendered and he sort of settled in on a reservation grew a house had a very large family like seven wives and like 20 kids but uh He was, but he is, you know, he negotiated for different tribes and he also grew a lot of friends, most famously Teddy Roosevelt. And I believe when Roosevelt uh, was elected president, he was with them on his inauguration parade. Yeah. So it, that watching Yellow Hawk and knowing this backstory of the Searchers, I could really see a similarity between him and Koana Parker. Yeah,
1: and then the grandson too. Kind of get the impression at, at the end of that film that the grandson will have a, a, a development in his life, of, it's similar to what you just described. Um, uh, they're going back to Chicago. I think that's symbolic, right? Uh, they're, they're leaving. Even though this is the tail end of the, the that that period of warfare, it's not quite over yet, as we see with these Comanches and the lawlessness um, out west with with those uh, uh, ranchers that they meet uh, they run into at the end of the story in Montana. But even though that's all winding down, it's not quite finished yet. But it's symbolic, I think, that he and Quade are returning to the more established part of the United States, in fact, the The largest city. They're going east to Chicago, the one that, uh, to some extent, is on the edge, so to speak.
0: Yeah, this was 1892, though, so this is Devil in the White City time where H.H. Holmes is killing people in Chicago. (laughs) So not exactly a civilized city at the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But I think it is symbolic. I I, I think it's probably symbolic uh, that you know the kid's going to realize that the days of war are over, we're going to have to enter into the messy business of politics and negotiation with the United States uh, as unreliable as a partner as they, they are yes. <laughs> for native Americans.
0: And the other uh, main character in this movie, I would say is also Rosalie Quaid. I mean, the opening scene of this film is just oh, absolutely brutal. Because yes. her, fa- her entire family is murdered. Her husband is killed by the Comanches, and while they're trying to escape, all of her daughters, including her baby, are killed. She's the only survivor. But what's interesting, she obviously has the initial shock and PTSD when they bring her in because they run into her during the um, trail. They're going the march. Um, She eventually sees the family, you know, Yellow Hawk and his family, and she initially has a shock and fear of them. Yeah. But almost immediately after that, because they reach out to her, they want to give her some of her, their clothes, She she's immediately okay with them. She doesn't have this hatred yeah. or anger or anything towards them. I thought that was interesting. She almost immediately it's not necessarily forgiving the Comanches, but she's yeah. almost realizing that they're not the same people that did that. Yeah. Even though other people around that time would almost have that same belief. It's,
1: yeah, it's very interesting because uh, at, at, that, that prologue scene is very graphic. And her trauma is completely believable. And uh, for one of the reasons it's completely believable is she, even though she's a settler, is not in the business, in a business where you are uh, um, exposed to such traumatic things on a regular basis. Blocker is, right? And so is uh, Yellowhawk. So they're, uh as it were, uh, PTSD or moral injury, it's there, but it's also something that took a long time to develop. And so they've developed, as it were, kind of a callous or defense, um, defensive shield, emotional shield around themselves that makes them somewhat deadened morally to what they're doing. Both of them, I would say, it's, it's safe to say, um, are a little too comfortable with the atrocities they committed. Um, you have descript, uh, fairly uh, graphic descriptions of those atrocities. Repeatedly, they're talking about cutting people from stem to stern. Uh, both Yellow Hawk did it and, and Blocker did it. So th- those guys, as it were, they suffer much more moral injury. Uh, their, their, their moral capacities are deadened uh, due to the nature of uh, their business, as it were, being warriors. She is completely unprepared for what happens to her with her family, right? So her trauma is much more deep and profound. And you're right. She goes through a, an episode of uh, being uh, completely out of touch with the reality of the situation. She believes her three kids are still alive when they discover her in that burned out cabin. But you're right. She, she recovers from it fairly quickly. And it's it's remarkable that she would. You would think she would never recover from it. But part of the reason is this is the only time she's encountered something like that, and has not, as it were, had the uh, uh, unwholesome opportunity to develop that kind of moral callousness that comes with repeated instances of being subject to this subject to this kind of thing, and she does react positively to the. Uh, to the family offering her the clothing and, but it's still, it takes her a little while to adjust to them and accept them, but she does it fairly quickly. And it's an interesting contrast between her and blockers character when she does make that turn because he's still kind of cold and callous toward them. You know, I'm not interested in being nice to these people. Uh, I'm quite well aware of what they did. I owe them nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, She under, she sees that act of kindness and she kind of, as it were ribs him a little bit when they have that little bit, that discussion uh, where he's, he basically says they can wash the dishes themselves. I'm not worried about that. She goes, well, I'm going to help them. Mm -hmm. So she's already made that connection. And then she goes off with the women who are uh, cleaning the dishes at the, at the, creek and then that's when the fur trappers find them and then they're kidnapped and it's not shown but it looks like they've been raped and then they're tied up in that camp and then i think that sets up with that attack scene to rescue the women that sets up blockers turn he turns at that point we've already discussed where uh they're about to uh go in and and capture the women and he and Yellowhawk, to have that tense uh, conversation about who's going to lead it, right? And then Yellowhawk says, it's my daughter, I'm doing it, end of discussion. Yes. And Blocker at that point, I think that flips the switch for him. He stops considering this guy to be uh, you know, an enemy. The, the armor goes down. There's that connection via effect of a fellow warrior, and then they go in and rescue the women. And he's a different character from that point on.
0: And I would say one of the, if there's a redeeming quality of Blocker, even before he had that turn, is that he's always gratefully cares for those who serve under him. Yes. the soldiers, he's always remembering the names of the soldiers who were <laughs> killed by yellow hawk and mutilated. But what was interesting, there is a character in this movie. Well, he was a Buffalo soldier. He's African-American. Yep. And what's interesting, even among other soldiers, there's absolutely no racial bigotry directed towards him. And it's even, he shows because he gets wounded in battle, yeah, and he has to stay behind at a hospital at this other fort, and they have this tearful goodbye. they've he's served under him for many years, and he even says he's like a son to him. Yep. And there's like like I said, there's he's he has you could say he obviously has racial prejudice towards Native Americans, but towards a black soldier in his company there's like none yeah. at all and, I was, and it's and
1: interesting again that's born of service and extremely stressful and dangerous circumstances with uh, other people uh, especially in cases where you find that you can rely on them and they're willing to risk their lives to to uh, help protect yours or save yours um, when that happens mere visual differences don't amount to anything and that connection is built. And you can see, and that's a, common, that's a common feature of military men, military units. They develop that kind of camaraderie, especially ones that go through combat like that. And again, I think he sees that Yellow Hawk respects that. Because Yellow Hawk has thought the exact same way about the people he's fought with as well. And a, a neat dynamic there. Um, and it, and it, it's interesting, I think, too, because it, it gives some sort of an avenue to where uh, both of those main characters and, and more generally people that go into combat can kind of uh, go part of the way toward moral healing when they are morally injured and become callous to the uh, suffering of others, especially enemy Um you can still see that commonality and you, you can respect that even in the enemy forces and, and get in touch with their humanity that way too. You'll, you'll hear this in, in um, accounts of people that in the Pacific war, I keep thinking of that again. Um, once they understand the, the amount of camaraderie and the same kind of sacrifices that were made on the part of the Japanese for their fellow soldiers, Uh, Very often people say, oh, wow, I recognize that, I respect that, and on that basis I can, to some extent, if not totally forgive them, at least I can respect them. And I, I think there's some of that there, too
0: and what's interesting about blocker outside you know he's probably the only character in the movie besides maybe rosalie quaid that has something of a happy ending yeah because he hops on that train at the end as rosalie and the yellow hawk's grandson are heading to chicago and supposedly spending his time with him because he's him and rosalie have grown close together and you wonder does he deserve the happy ending knowing the things that he's done this wasn't like i said it's Constantly pointed out in the movie, this wasn't just he killed soldiers and other enemy soldiers in battle, he's killed civilians, he's killed women and children. Yep. Committed atrocities. And so you're thinking he gets the happy ending and Rosalie Quaid's grown close to him, but you wonder, does she know the full extent of the things he's done? And if she did, would she want to stay with him?
1: Yeah. And you know, at the same time, that uh, Yellowhawk has done the same sorts of things as well. and. It seems to be the case that both of them have come to terms with the with the atrocities they've committed, and they have come to terms with the fact that the other person has committed those atrocities. By the end of that film, there is one other character though, that is not able to come to terms with it, and, and uh, uh, Sergeant Metz Thomas. Yes. Actually, ends he ends up killing himself after uh, pursuing.
0: the Goes to Yellowhawk, offers him a peace offering of tobacco and tells him in his native Kiowa language that, you know, we can never be forgiven for the things we've done. to Yes. You, yeah. But accept this as something yes. of a token.
1: So I took it that he, he, he's going and pursuing that prisoner. He finds him. He kills him. And then he kills himself because he's leaning up against that tree. Right. So I think he's killed himself because, because he, cannot, he cannot reconcile his, his guilt. For having committed atrocities so he's a very much a, a different character than um either yellow hawk or Block or, or even Quaid to some extent but it's it, it's an interesting dynamic there uh, you see him as it were falling falling deeper and deeper into that guilt self-loathing and remorse he de- he never comes back out of it. Now, why is that? Well, he's just he's just reached a critical point to where he cannot forgive himself for doing it. Uh, interestingly, he recovers his moral sense from for some reason during the course of this uh, uh, journey, and because he's recovered that moral sense, he's he's looking at his last his his own earlier deeds with disgust and loathing and it 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 raises an interesting question why in his case does that happen when it apparently he served in the same unit with blocker for years and years and years and blocker survives it you know it may the the explanation just may simply be differences in in uh, uh character differences in in psychological makeup that's all there is to it but There are people like that that never recover from having done horribly, horribly immoral things.
0: And we talk about, because this film, if you're listening, you can probably tell this is a very grim and serious movie. And my other complaint I have, I feel that it's like, obviously we're dealing with subject matter as this. You're not going to be, you don't want to be lighthearted. But I feel like it's like 10% or 15% too grim, or serious which is interesting because when we were talking about the searchers my problem with that movie is the exact opposite there's a little bit too much of that john ford wacky slapsticky humor and it should have been a little bit more serious but in this one there's just a little bit like the thing i'm thinking of too much because there's this constant you know things of hostiles you know with the title of the movie yeah. but like the very last scene when it's another group of these ranch owners in montana and they get into a shootout and then it family that's when i think it's like okay this is just a little bit too grim and serious <laughs> it's just like you know let the yellow hawks family now that he's passed on i mean then the you know the children should not have to suffer for the sins of the father let them enjoy their life and have this thing behind them but no they have to die as well and yeah that's in the, there was even a particular scene like right after um blocker is given this this task he doesn't want to do it and there's this scene it's at night he's just somehow out in the desert and he's like he's like punching the ground he's yelling and like yeah. that's just, that was like I'm saying that's the part where this is just like 10 15 percent too grim and serious just a not saying you need to have comic relief or anything but maybe just not have like all you know one less scene or two you know yeah
1: I well I think that's probably because the, the character or the the director was wanting to get across the depth of the moral injury that, that uh, Blocker has suffered. And he's not even aware of it until he interacts with Yellow Hawk uh, for months on this journey. He doesn't realize how inhumane he's become. Because remember, they, they have that scene where very early, right after that prologue scene, first introduction to him is he's bringing back some escaped Apaches. And he's having no trouble with the way the guys are treating treating them. They're, they're tying them up, they're dragging them with the horse and so forth. He has absolutely no qualms about that. Doesn't even realize how immoral it is, right? And then, uh, then he's given this task and... Slowly but surely, the the shells, the, the onion skins of of hardness and lack of sympathy and so forth, uh, are are peeled away from him. And I think the import of that scene where he goes out into the the desert at night uh, is he just he, he cannot bring himself to do anything of a humane and compassionate nature for. Yellowhawk, being the sort of enemy he was, he's killed women and children. He's killed my men. He absolutely does not deserve this. I cannot believe they're forcing me to do this. I think he was seriously considering killing himself, and he chose not to. And he probably hated himself for choosing not to. And that's why he treats him so badly there at the beginning, putting him in chains uh, before they move on. Um. But, like I said, it's, it's kind of a tale of recovering your moral sense for him. And by the end of the movie, he's sympathetic with and respects Yellow Hawk, And even to the point where they give him the proper burial, the, properly, proper, the proper death rites, they put him up on that stand, right? And then they've created a, uh, um, oh, God, what's, what's the thing that the horse is pulling? You know, his body's on it casket no it's not a casket it's just oh a sled so then they create this sled and they're they're going to take him to i think it was called bear creek i can't remember the name His place in in montana Montana. so it looks like they're taking them him there to give him a proper burial right so he's come full circle and then they run into those ranchers who kind of represent his earlier self in a way we don't know their backstory but they're completely cold and racist and more than willing to kill that whole party rather than let them traipse through their land. And you're right, though. At the end, I was kind of hoping <laughs> we'd get something of a happy ending. You know, Black Hawk might survive. The, the wife might survive. And certainly the grandson. I mean, I mean, I know as that gunfight was going, I was thinking, oh my God, he's going to kill everybody off in this. This This is how this movie's going to end. That's no good. <laughs> um, but he does at least allow the grandson to Survive and you know, he's passed, gets that wisdom, so to speak, of the book, the Gallic War being passed on to him from Blocker. I I like that, it's not much of a happy ending, but to some extent, it is. But you know, this is, if I recall the correct term correctly, this is one of those westerns that's often called a revisionist western. Yes, um, where it, you know it's kind of anti all the usual Western tropes from the Golden Age of Hollywood. And you saw a lot of this in the seventies, right? So it's in that same vein to some extent. But basically, saying look, you know, both sides here, in, in moral terms, they were equally uh, vile, right? So let's explore that and see what our characters can do in in resolving um, not only the conflict between themselves but the conflict, the moral conflicts they may have internally, right? I think it kind of worked, although it is, you're right, pretty darn grim movie.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics of the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at soundofcinema.automatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.